Welcome to the Focus and Chill podcast, where we discuss productivity tactics that work for neurodiverse individuals. Every episode, we interview guests with lived experience of neurodiversity who also have a solid productivity and habit game, and pass the learnings on to you, our wise and benevolent audience. We're your hosts, Jeremy and Joey. I'm Joey, and I coach creatives to get moving on their most ambitious projects through the power of solid habits and strong focus. I'm also a perpetual student of psychology and perpetually on a quest to a one-armed chin-up. And I'm Jeremy. I'm a neurodiverse software developer turned startup founder, building habit and focus software for people with ADHD. My cool party trick is leaving parties early so I get to sleep on time to do my three hour long morning routine. The Focus and Chill podcast is brought to you by Focus Bear, a habit and productivity app that makes healthy habits and deep work the path of least resistance. If you have a tendency to check emails or scroll through Instagram first thing in the morning, but long to develop a meditation and exercise habit first thing, Focus Bear can help you. The app blocks distractions on all your devices and guides you through your habits one at a time. Throughout the day, Focus Bear assists you to stay in deep work by blocking websites and apps that are unrelated to your chosen focus mode. Life's not all about work though. You'll be prompted to take regular breaks to rest your eyes and stretch your muscles. At the end of the day, Focus Bear helps you switch off. Work-related apps get hidden so you can unwind and sleep well. Check out the app by going to focusbear.io. Welcome to episode number 20 of the Focus and Chill podcast. We're thrilled to be joined by Abigail Gimple today. Abigail earned her graduate degree at Toro College Graduate School for Special Education. She married Daniel Gimple in 1998 while teaching in an inclusion classroom. She developed a successful intervention program for her students struggling with ADHD symptoms. She and Daniel emigrated to Israel soon after their marriage, and Abigail then earned advanced degrees in teaching children with dyslexia and cognitive education for children with ADHD symptoms. She built a teacher's training program, which she teaches at Herzog College. She lectures in schools and to parent groups across Israel. In private practice, she educates parents to become ADHD coaches for their children. She's the author of Hyperhealing, The Empowered Parents' Complete Guide to Raising a Healthy Child with ADHD Symptoms, which is a number one bestseller on Amazon, and also Hyperhealing, Show Me the Science. Abigail, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Jeremy. It's really nice to be here with you today. Well, I'm really keen to hear about your experience with neurodiversity, because I think you have an interesting perspective on it. Absolutely. So I met neurodiversity basically when my first child was diagnosed with ADHD. I'm a mom of six children, and uh, most of them were diagnosed with ADHD. And the the only reason they're not all diagnosed with ADHD is because I I got the theme, and I uh, just didn't really run for a diagnosis for my younger kids. But uh, they they have similar symptoms, and uh, when I took my daughter into the doctor's office for that first uh, diagnostic meeting. Uh, she was she was very busy with all sorts of paperwork, and she looks up at us and and my daughter and she she pressed the print button on her printer. She she was working on something for the the patient before us, and uh, my daughter jumps out of her seat and runs to the printer to to hand the doctor this document she had just printed, and and she's utterly proud and thrilled with herself for helping the doctor out. And the doctor looks up at me and goes, slam dunk ADHD. And I'm like, whoa, what's going on here? <laughs> that was pretty quick. And then 
without missing a beat, the doctor gives me a straight-faced explanation of how the fact that my daughter had jumped out of her seat without being asked and uh, and did this thing, you know, meant that she had ADHD. And what that means is that she has a brain that's um, neurodiverse and uh, that that's something that she'll have for life. And and that was it. And, and here's your prescription. So I'm quite sure that there are a lot of excellent doctors out there and we just happened to trip on a really bad one. But uh, that was really the first time, despite the fact that I had been a teacher of kids with ADHD, I was in an inclusion setting. So I had all sorts of uh, kids with different ability levels in my classroom and different challenges. And it had never occurred to me that there was something wrong with their brain. And uh, then she goes ahead and tells me this. And I said, wow, I have to investigate it. So neurodiversity and neurotypical is are terms that are thrown around a lot. And at the beginning, I was quite convinced that there was uh, something wrong with my child's brain. And, and my husband definitely would have been diagnosed with ADHD had they been diagnosing when he was growing up. He's not that old, but it was still not the diagnosis du jour. So, uh, so they missed him. So when I started actually deep dive investigation into it, and that was actually just the subject of my second book, which is Hyperhealing, Show Me the Science, what I discovered was that they, they really have not uh, scientifically proven that there is something wrong with uh, other person's brain. And that these five areas that they're talking about of a brain of a person with ADHD, they found in perhaps 5% of people that are diagnosed with ADHD. And therefore, I, at this point, since science is not backing this um, suggestion that there is a neurodiversity, that it, that the problem is living in the person's brain, I choose to see the brain as perfectly healthy, uh, but yet the person is absolutely struggling. I'm not saying ADHD doesn't exist. I'm raising ADHD. I know that it exists. The question to me is why? Where's it coming from? Since science has not yet shown me that it's coming from a structurally different or a um, neurotransmitter different brain, I want to know why that child is struggling. And that, that's where I begin. Yeah, really interesting take on it. And in some ways, it's probably empowering for people to not feel like they're broken, that it may not be that there's a, a problem with their brain, just a, a different way of coping with the world. Yes, it must be I, must be interesting for you being both coming from a an inclusive education angle and also seeing it in your own family. I guess you'd be around it quite a lot of the time. I am around it all of the time, and I joke around that I'm the only person who in the in my house that could have a full thought from beginning to end without distracting myself. And, uh, that's it's refreshing to know that I could do that. Uh, but on the other hand, it is incredible being around people with such creativity and energy. And uh, I learn way more from them probably than they learn from me. And it's it's a real it's a real honor. Just in the last couple of weeks, I have uh, I've done the craziest thing that we're not even on my bucket list. I added it to my bucket list afterwards and then put a check on it. But I went rappelling with my 17-year-old son and, uh, you know, down these enormous cliffs into freezing water. And that, that is not a thing I had ever done in my life had I not met my fabulous children. I just went scuba diving for the first time with my 12-year-old daughter. 
and uh, these these things are they 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 keep they keep my life alive and interesting, and uh, they're just fabulous, amazing people. Does sound very fun, especially for people who are adrenaline seekers. Yes, Hello. which I'm not. <laughs> You've got enough dopamine already. The, the dopamine is surging, but in the, according to the science I'm reading, even my kids have enough dopamine. They're just missing some important skills, which mm. which we've been working on for a lot of years, and uh, they're doing. You know, they've they've made beautiful progress. I, that's really what I work on a lot with my clients, my students, is uh, is gaining skills because uh, the way I see it, they, this this uh, um, amazing person with an ADHD diagnosis uh, is an instant gratification person. They're, they are someone who is drawn to the here and now, to the novelty, to interesting, to slightly dangerous, uh, to curiosity. And um, when things get a little boring, and uh, there's no more that that draw because they've they've already discovered what they're supposed to do, suddenly they drop out and we lose them. And that's no way to go through life. That's too difficult. You can't just be living on the interesting and the exciting and the dangerous. You have to be following through. So therefore, they are the ones that are fueling discovery and and out-of-the-box thinking, which we need in this world. And really, we don't want to medicate that away. But they need to be able to follow through afterwards. And nobody's perfect. Nobody shows up with all the skills they need in order to be an effective human being. That's our job throughout our entire life. And therefore, I'm helping these people hang on to those fabulous ideas, hang on to the here and now, and then learn how to dot the T's and cross the I, no, dot the I's and cross the T's, and, uh, and then be able to successfully follow through. Yeah, I got it. It makes a lot of sense. Is it almost metacognitive? coping strategies that you're talking about that we're we're looking for for ways to to better develop executive functioning when it might not come naturally that's exactly it uh, i don't see it as coping i see it as growth and uh, hmm. parents also often come over to me and they say okay are so you're going to teach us how to cope with with our children's adhd and i say no 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 I'm not, if, if you're going to cope, I would say, you know, smoke some pot, <laughs> take vacations often. <laughs> but if, if I'm going to help you, I, uh, if I'm here to help your child flourish, your relationship flourish, you understand your, the uniqueness of your child and where your child's strong and where your child's weak. And I'm going to help you help, help your child overcome that instead of coping with it. I don't accept that it's okay for you to have strengths and weaknesses and you just to live with the weaknesses. It's just like if you, if you would go to a personal trainer in, in the gym and they would see that you have low muscle tone, they wouldn't then only exercise the areas of your body that are not involved with your low muscle tone. They would help you work on, let's say your lower body, which is very strong, but then they would also insist that you keep pushing forward and strengthening yourself so that you grow out of your low muscle tone. So it's the same thing with the brain and the behavior of a child with ADHD symptoms or an adult. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And, and that flows really nicely into the next question around the work projects that you're concentrating on, because sounds like that's most of what you do these days in terms of helping parents and writing books. 
Yeah, so I've written the two books and people keep asking me when the third book is coming out. Uh, at this point, I'm not working on another book. I am working on getting the information that I've already written down out. I work on uh, just just recently, I had a group from uh, a group of teachers, therapists, pastors from uh, one of the countries in Africa, and I was honored to be able to coach them. So I'm working on getting the information out to uh, a diverse group of people. I had a group uh, in North America as well. Australia is more than invited, uh, and I and I coach uh -huh. them in how to use the skills that I'm passing on to make their own groups. And that's really my dream. My dream is not to be involved in coaching all the people. Like essentially, once the book is out there, you don't need me anymore. You can take the book, and I've written it in a way that it can be used for group learning, parents getting together, using the group as using. I'm sorry, the book as their as their kind of uh, diving board there and then you and then taking it and being able to to make it into conversation setting goals for themselves setting a whatsapp group for themselves meeting once a week and being able to uh and being able to learn together that that's really so so that's what i'm working on now getting people to empower themselves and uh, you just use the information to as a community in your church, in your synagogue, in your community center, being able to uh, empower all the parents and teachers and therapists to be able to use the information and help children. Because it, the structure that we have now really um, does not help children. It, it kind of, uh, and, or adults, it, it kind of quiets them down so that they're no longer bothering us or they're sticking to the task that that's in front of them but it doesn't use their unique strengths and it doesn't help parents and children communicate better. It doesn't help adults communicate with themselves better. And interestingly, even though the book is written from the perspective of parent child, many adults have read it. And, and just recently and a, a client said, a, a new client said to me, this book, you, you wrote it for me. I don't know how you knew because you haven't met me until two weeks ago. But the book was written for me, and that's very gratifying because it was written for him. And this is this is an adult man, and I had him in mind, even though I didn't know him yet, when I was writing it. So anyone that it speaks to, it was you that I wrote it for. And uh, and I hope that people will run with it and uh, and be able to get a lot of help. That sounds great. I was thinking maybe this wouldn't be relevant for me because I I got diagnosed when I was pretty late in life, but. It sounds like it would be worth me having a read. And I'm very interested also in the second book where you're looking at the science of it, because I have felt some hesitation myself at the idea of, of medicating everything and, and using that as the first tool. Right. So I am not, I medicated three of my children at, at different points in their elementary school careers. And it was more because the school said the kid's not coming if, if they don't pop their pill in the morning. And uh, even though schools are not allowed to legally do that, I'll have you know, they they do, and they do it all over the world. And um, I'm not I'm not an anti-medication agenda person. I really do look at the science. And uh, as far as I'm concerned, since 
uh, we have not found that neurodiversity that we're claiming. We have not found the problem in the brain. And people think I'm crazy because they're reading headlines and they're saying, look, here it is. I went into all the studies. I'm nerdy that way. I really wanted to read the entire study and the headlines and the name of the study and the conclusions they find are not in line with the actual data that they're presenting in the study. And, and we have to do that. We have to read these studies. Doctors don't have time. They are inundated and they're working from morning till night. And I don't blame anyone for not having this information, but that's why I wrote the book so that we really have informed consent when it comes to uh, any kind of medication we or anything we put into our bodies. We have to know what's going on and no one's gonna spoon feed that for us and we're adults. So what I, what I, my conclusion is that the brain is healthy and therefore what's going on with the whole story of the medication and does it help short-term, long-term? And apparently it does help short-term. And the short-term studies are glowing about ADHD medication, but as we get further out, and this was shocking for me to find kids that are taking and adults that are taking medication for long-term do worse than their friends and colleagues who have not taken the medication. And I, I was really shocked by that. But long-term, and this was an adult study done in England, they land up being addicted to the medication, and meaning that addicted, not meaning that they're craving it, but that they do more poorly than they did before they started the medication once, they once they've taken it for a full year. So they're dependent on it. And that's, that's a better word than addicted. They become dependent on it. And, um, and slowly their brain stops producing as much dopamine. So the dopamine story seems to be much more connected to medication than it is to your native brain. And uh, that, that just blew my mind. My goodness, we are creating a story about lack of dopamine, but we're not measuring dopamine before we medicate. We're only looking at medicated brains. So therefore, there is so much we can do. And we also have to look at diet. We have to look at exercise. Is this person addicted to their screen? Are they getting enough sleep? These are very obvious things that when we just look at the checklist of ADHD symptoms and we never ask why the person is struggling with those symptoms, we completely miss what's going on. And you have a kid who's struggling with asthma or ADHD symptoms or has rashes all over themselves or struggles with, with sleep, is exhausted all the time, headaches, stomach aches. And we say, oh no, that's something else. Well, how do you know that that's something else? Did you look at it? Did you try to work on, on healing those symptoms and then see what happens to the ADHD symptoms? Because I know personally, that when I don't get enough sleep for many, many nights, and as a mom of six children, that's happened to me many times. Like right now, my youngest is 12. I go to sleep at night and I wake up the next morning and I still think it's a miracle that I've slept a full night. And when you <laughs> are waking up every night for years, all night long, you have a hard time having coherent thought. You have a hard time focusing and therefore, if we're going to serve the population who's been diagnosed with ADHD, we need curiosity and we need to respect them. And the system right now is not respectful. 
And we need to read the studies and we need to know the history of ADHD in order to make really good decisions for ourselves. Yeah, that makes so much sense. I, it also aligns with, I think, what they're starting to say about depression as well, that some of the, the theories around there being a serotonin deficit may not be necessarily true and that antidepressants yes. may not necessarily help that much and lifestyle factors, sleep and exercise seem to have really outsized impacts on depression. Yes, I, and, I, and, and I can getting certainly... outdoors, the, the, the mm. outdoors, the exercising, and especially friendship, which is why the this uh, the lockdowns were so devastating to so many people. Because if you're on the verge of depression and then you're locked in alone, then this that's a guaranteed recipe. No sun, no movement, no friendship. And you're going to take that dive into depression. There's no way to avoid it at that point. And, and it, that's been really tragic for so many people. And, uh, mm. and yeah, and, and, and it turns out that getting outside in the sunlight and exercising every day is so much more effective than taking a pill, which is going to land your brain changing. It's going to change mm. your brain no matter what. And then, mm. and, and it's kicking the problem down the road and also adding new problems. If you're already feeling down and sad, I want to know why you're feeling sad, first of all. And I want to do things to help you become healthier. I want to, mm. I want to have a conversation with you. I want to be your friend. I want to take you out for a jog in the park. And, and you're going to do better. But if you're tinkering with your brain chemicals, you're going to land up with a secondary diagnosis as well. And from there, slide downward. And what a shame, because most people who are dealing with depression and anxiety, there's a good reason why they're dealing with depression and anxiety. And and really, shame on, on society for ignoring that, blaming the problem of their brain. Yeah, rather than the environment that they're in and some of the, the challenges that they're facing. Yeah, absolutely. In general, we see that most of these diagnoses are a clash between a healthy person and their environment. And that's not to blame the environment, but it's it's an invitation to question what the clash is so that we can give people real, honest, nurturing help. Absolutely. And I can certainly testify to the the positive impact of getting out in sunlight and exercising and getting enough sleep. It, it makes a big difference to my inattentive symptoms. I'm a big advocate for it. Let's move on to, we spoke a little bit about what you do in your off time in terms of rappelling down cliff faces and <laughs> scuba diving. What are your other hobbies? I love to read. I uh, take a walk with my husband every morning. We catch up. We, I live in a beautiful area, and uh, we go into the uh, into the countryside, and we take a walk, and that's really, really gives me a, a ton of energy in the morning. He's waiting for me right now, and um, I uh, I love to spend time with my with my children, with friends. We get together with friends very often, and uh, what else do I like to do? I I love to listen to interesting podcast, different perspectives on, on, uh, everything. I love to learn. So, uh, if I've, if I've learned something new today, it's been a great day. And you, you were talking about walking, being part of your morning routine. What are the other things that you do each day? So I, I pray 
try to connect with with God, with my inner self every day. Um, I, I meet with I meet with clients every day. I, I prepare lectures. I teach very. I, I teach once a week in a wonderful teachers college. I enjoy the job very very much. Um, I had been going to CrossFit, and uh, unfortunately that dropped out. I I struggle with uh, with headaches because I I broke my collarbones as a kid, and that was in a couple of car accidents. So the CrossFit was was causing me headaches because I haven't resolved the issues around my or the of the muscle whatever whatever damage I caused, and I caused caused some serious damage. Um, which is very typical of me because I'm a little bit clumsy. Um, and so I had to, I have to work that out and I'm getting right back to my exercise routine. That's incredibly important to me and walking is not enough. So I've been doing some running as well. Also not enough. I need weights. I need jumping. I need burpees and uh, I got to get back there. Love it. Yeah. I find burpees are a great way for me to keep the energy going throughout the day. And that's one of that's my productivity hacks. Yeah, you do that. You just drop down and yeah. do burpees every once in a while. Yeah, every 25 minutes or so, I get reminded to either do squats or push-ups or burpees or lift some weights. And that's my my number one productivity hack. How about yours? What are your tips for optimizing productivity? Well, first of all, I'm amazed by you. That's incredible <laughs> that you actually have a reminder and then you pay attention to the reminder and do it. Um, my productivity hacks, I definitely rely on exercise for productivity. I, um, I am very driven. You know, I want, I, I walk into a room and things are out of place and I, I do have an internal drive to get it back to the way it's supposed to be. And I have these mantras. This is this is, uh, you know, I, I am doing something great, even when I'm doing something mundane, like the laundry or dishes or, or straightening up, because I, I say to myself that I'm doing this for the health of my family so that my family can flourish. Uh, so I definitely have a lot of self-talk and uh, congratulate myself on, on a job well done. I'll even sit down afterwards and have a proper coffee instead of running around the kitchen and drinking my coffee and then forgetting about it and then it gets cold. Um, so definitely besides for moving a lot, I, I try to uh, create mantras that get me through and uh, to the other side. And uh, I know that when I was sitting to write the book, I never sat down for a writing session before I got a good sweat. That helped a lot. That gave me two, three hours of good focus, but I never sit for more than 45 minutes. And I, I, I've heard this a few times that sitting is the new smoking. Get up, yep. stop sitting so much. When I teach, I'm standing the whole time. I walk around the classroom. I, oh, I entertain myself. That's helpful. I make myself laugh. And that also uh, keeps me on task because I'm having a good time. Love it. Speaking of sitting as the new smoking, we're going to take a, a quick break for 30 seconds and I might stand up and stretch my legs for a bit. Hello there, this is Joey. I'm excited to tell you about a project I run where I help imaginative people just like you breathe life into their creative dreams, like writing that book or performing that stand-up comedy set. I know the first step can be daunting. I've been there many times and have helped many people on a similar journey. If you've wondered how to bring those ideas swimming around in your head to life, get in touch. 
will shrink the intimidating dragon of a goal into a cute little lizard of an achievable daily habit that you can do every day to get started and stay moving. Click on the link in the show description to get in touch. Okay, we're back from our break, feeling energized. Now I'd like to hear about how you switch off in the evening. Okay, that's assuming I switch off in the evening. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, when, when my kids were little, by 7.30 in the evening, the house was silent. And I would I'd finish straightening up and I'd sit down and read a book. Now that I have, most of my kids are either teenagers or young adults. I, I do try to, you know, take a shower, get into bed, try not to have my screen anywhere next to me when I get into bed. Don't do that. That's a very bad idea because then you don't sleep well. So I try to park that and read something. And then inevitably somebody shows up in my room with uh, some angst, something that they must discuss right now. And uh, those are our finest conversations. So I don't want to shut them down, but uh, I'm not great at the wind down. It's kind of like we finish the conversation and I'm like, I'm spent off to sleep. That's impressive that you're able to go straight to sleep like that. Do you find, is it a consistent time or it depends on how long the angst reduction conversation takes? It's definitely, I, I shoot for about 11. I have to be up by 6.15, 6.30 uh, to get my people moving in the morning and to get myself moving in the morning. So uh, I think 11 is a great, a great time to uh, sh- shut everything off. Uh, but sometimes the angst conversation goes a little bit longer and uh, we roll with the punches because uh, these times are so precious. I, you know, I, I want to be there for my people. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I, as, as a teenager, I had terrible insomnia. And I, you know, I just I'd get, I'd get into bed and, and the thoughts just started racing. There was no way to shut the brain off. But I, I think since I, since I started having kids and uh, sleep became so precious, I am extremely grateful the insomnia is gone. And yeah, I could just shut the eyes and I am out. Now, in terms of besides your own books, which we will link to in the show description, what other resources would you recommend for people who may be who may have ADHD, for example, talking about books or philosophies or even sensory toys? In terms of really understanding what's going on on the medication side. On the neurodiversity side, I highly recommend that people follow Mad in America. It's also a book, but it's a, a platform. And uh, they offer a tremendous, they're on Twitter as well. They offer a tremendous amount of information, studies, personal stories. And uh, I think that gives people a lot of hope and uh, and, and allows them to really rechannel themselves from a place of health instead of a place of, of disorder. So I, I love them and I often read their articles and, uh, and follow their, their information. I also really enjoy in terms of gut healing, uh, functional medicine. So uh, there's and as Dr. David Perlmutter, who I quote a lot in my book. And um, I, in general, in terms of the ADHD stuff, there, it's been a real mix because I think a lot of the ADHD information that's out there is is a little bit misleading, which is why I forced myself to glue myself to my chair and and write the book the write the books that I did. So I don't have any specific person 
that I follow, but uh, Dr. John Rady uh, speaks a lot about the exercise part. And I highly recommend uh, looking him up. And uh, in general, I, I, I think that uh, opening conversations, speaking to people is always a great idea, hearing all sorts of different ideas. But that those are areas that I'm always following up with and seeing what new things are coming out, new studies are coming out, and um, new healing ideas for the gut. And also uh, um, in terms of sleep, um, the there's a book called Why We Sleep. That's uh, John, Wa is it John Walker? Um, uh, Walker, Walker I think. Matthew, yeah. thank you. Um, so that's a great resource. I quote him a lot. Uh, as well, because we really have to get that uh, going. And uh, in terms of uh, screens, we are all addicted to our screens. And um, there's a book called Reset Your Child's Brain. And uh, that is excellent as well. And, and John, there's a, there's a lot of people that are talking about the brain, the, this, the um, screen addiction epidemic that we're dealing with, but definitely something to really pay attention to. Yeah, I'll check that out. If people wanted to open a conversation with you, where's the best place for them to find you? So I'm very available on my website. And you can and you can definitely, you can not only open a conversation with me there, send me directly an email. I always respond. Uh, you can also uh, schedule a 15-minute conversation with me. And I'd love to hear your story and what's going on for you because uh there's so much all of us can do to improve and to uh, get to our best selves. And I love speaking with people and uh, seeing how I can help. Wonderful. Do you have any final words or asks for the audience? Um, well, first of all, you're amazing. And uh, I just wanted to say that to you. It's really, you. Uh, it's, it's remarkable that you, that you take your own personal time and you uh, and you do this service for people, and you you help people learn new things, new perspectives, new ideas. And uh, I wish you a lot of luck with what you're doing because you really are doing a service for all of us. And uh, I hope that your podcast just blows up because good for you. And uh, we need more curious people like you around uh, to help the rest of us. Uh, and besides for that, I, I do want to say that an ADHD, a diagnosis is not a diagnosis of disorder. It's a diagnosis of pay attention to the symptoms you're struggling with. And I invite everybody to be curious about yourselves. Don't just accept that as gospel. Say to yourself, I'm struggling and try to find out why. Very often, especially adults struggling with ADHD symptoms, the reason is because you have so many voices in your head telling you you're bad, telling you you're stupid, telling you you'll never amount to anything. And instead of progressing, you're battling those voices and you're in constant conflict. So if that's going on for you, if you're putting yourself down, if you feel bad about yourself, that may be spurring on and creating even more ADHD symptoms. So respect yourself, love yourself, take care of yourself, find someone to speak to, unravel those voices because you're healthy and, and you can overcome and you really can become your best self. I love it. Thanks so much for coming on the show, Abigail. Thank you so much for having me. It was a wonderful conversation. 
Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Focus and Chill podcast. To listen to other episodes, jump onto podcast.focusbear.io. If you'd like to be a guest on the show or you know someone who'd be a good fit, email us at team at focusbear.io. Otherwise, stay focused, stay chilled, and peace out. <laughs>